great to be with you. Uh, for those of you who know us, you know that uh, this is our home church. Uh, many, many years ago, uh, 44 years in June, we will have uh, been in uh, missions. Uh, we celebrate our 44th anniversary. And so it's exciting to do that. But once we got into missions, both Jan's home church and my home church decided they wanted to do, to do other things than connect with us. And so we were homeless uh, as far as churches go for a period of time. And then God led us to this wonderful place called Christ Center. And you guys have taken us into your family, and you are our home church, and we're so grateful for all of you and grateful to be here today. Uh, I really have been spending a lot of time asking the Lord to speak to us during this time together. Uh, uh, Jan and I work with a, a group called the Youth of the Mission, or YWAM, and uh, we uh, really have loved being in this tribe called YWAM. And we worked for 30 years in a normal YWAM setting, a normal YWAM base, uh, as if any of them can truly be normal, but uh, a normal YWAM base. And then uh, 14 years ago, God called us to begin working with orphans around the world. And we started uh, supporting two orphanages, one in Colombia and one in India. And then God just kept bringing us orphanages and bringing us donors that would support those orphanages. And as we stand here today, uh, we are supporting a uh, little over 2,000 orphans in 13 nations of the world. In 32 orphanages, we support three medical clinics, two vocational training schools, and in our spare time, we get to fly to Oregon and uh, be with you guys. And so we're grateful, very grateful. And this morning, I'd like for us to look together at Ezekiel chapter 37. It's a familiar passage. You probably are familiar, you may not be familiar with the, uh, uh, just saying the chapter, but Ezekiel 37 is the vision of the valley of dry bones. And uh, uh, that's what we want to be sharing here. And so uh, let's read this together. The Lord, uh, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley and it was full of bones. Now this is an interesting picture, a vision that God gave the prophet and God literally lifted him up and dropped him in this massive valley, and it was filled with dry bones. And he caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. So those bones had been there a very, very long time, and it's interesting that the prophet, as he looked at them, he looked at the sheer volume of the number of bones, but when he examined them, they had been there a very, very, very long time, and they were very dry. And he said to me, O son of man, can these bones live? How many of you know that God never asks a question to get information? It's not like he needed to tell, you know, the prophet to tell him, Yes, they can, or no, they can't. 
Of course, the, this prophet was very diplomatic. And he said, oh, Lord God, you know. Of course you know, God. I don't know, but you know. And then God spoke to him. He said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you so that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you and make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin and put breath in you that you may come alive and you will know that I am the Lord. And I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a loud noise and behold rattling and bone came together with bone. Can you imagine uh, hundreds of thousands of soldiers' bodies and the bones of those soldiers, the incredible uh, noise that it would make, the overwhelming noise that it would make when those bones started slapping together, coming from different parts of the valley to the right body, and bam, they're all together. Word of the Lord, I prophesied. And the bones came together bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, the sinews were on them, and the flesh grew, and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. It's interesting because when the prophet prophesied, he prophesied for those bones to come together, for those sinews to come on the bones, the flesh to come onto the bodies, the skin to cover it, and the breath to come into it. And everything happened, but the breath didn't come the first time. There's much we can learn from this vision one of those things we can learn is it is through perseverance in the call of God and not letting go of the word of God that we see God's answer in our lives. It's really, really easy at times to give up. Oh, well, God, the bones all came together, the sinews came together, the flesh came on it, the skin came on it, there are bodies, but there's no breath. Oh, well, we never say, oh, well, in the call of God. Because God never says, oh well, and he's never overwhelmed. And God spoke to me and said, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on the slain, that they may come to life. And I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet and exceeding great army. The bones came together, the sinews came and joined the bones, the flesh came on the bones, the skin covered the bodies, and then the breath of God breathed on them and they came to life. What an incredible vision God gave this man. And I, I believe that vision is for us today. And I want to talk to you about Jan and my valley of dry bones. For you see, God has called us to labor among orphans. There are 143 million orphans in the world today. That number is staggering to me. I don't even know what that means. I can write 143 million, and I know that 143 million is 143,000,000. ,000. I know the numerical part of it. 
But until you begin to put names and faces with those numbers, you don't really understand who they are. And so our valley of dry bones are the lives of orphans, children who have lost one or usually both parents uh, many times to the ravages of AIDS. Sometimes they are, they, uh, children are abandoned a few times, they're runaways. But in every one of their lives, their lives are like those bones on that valley. They are scattered lives and they are very dry. And God spoke to us in uh, 2001. And God said, you are living a, a life here in this ministry. You are involved in the call of God. And then God spoke this word to us. He said, I am bringing you change. And I often uh, have said, I hate change. I don't like it. I like things the way they are. I like to sit on the same side of the auditorium I always sat on. And I sat down this morning and Joshua has moved. And something wasn't right. <laughs> By the way, I love your auditorium. The stage is gorgeous. Man, what a wonderful uh, bunch of changes here. And God spoke change to us. And we did the only thing we knew to do when God spoke change. We started walking and praying. And Jan and I walked and prayed on our YWAM center we walked and prayed for 12 months, day after day, seeking God, saying, God, we don't know what the change is, but we want your change in our lives. We didn't have a presupposition. We had no clue what it was, and God spoke very clearly, Wick, your valley of dry bones, the orphan world, and I want you to go and change the lives of orphans. I want you to take those dry bones and I want you to prophesy into those dry bones and I want to put sinew on the bones and flesh on that sinew and I want to put skin on them and I want the breath of God to enter them and the most abused, abandoned people on the face of this earth who are orphans will find the life of Christ and they'll be a mighty army. It's what God wants to do. And I meet orphans and I see orphans and I hang out with orphans and I hold orphans. My heart is broken over where they've come from. We've had many people ask us, how do you handle the tragic stories of hundreds and hundreds, thousands of orphans? And we simply say, we acknowledge where they've come from, but re we rejoice in where they're going. And the problem today is that a lot of people like to live where they came from. And they don't want to make that journey. And it's really interesting working with street kids. There are lots of street kids. They really don't want to get off of the streets. They are abused every single night sometimes by multiple people, and yet that's their norm. That's their comfort zone. So we work with them and pray with them and we bring them off of the streets. And for orphans, 
the government officials bring them or we find them and in the homes that we support, you guys, I, I can tell you, uh, we don't live in the valley of dry bones. We bring them into the place of God's breath and life. And I wanna just introduce you to some of my kids. Uh, the first little girl, her name is Erica. Erica's a delightful little girl, but that was not always her case. Just about a year ago, in our all-nations home in Mozambique, the police called and they said, we have a little girl that we found in the middle of the night. We found her on her murdered mother's body. She witnessed the rape and murder of her mother and she was absolutely traumatized by this to such a depth and degree she could not even talk. The police came and brought her and said, can you take her? She has witnessed something horrific. Her life is forever impacted by this. And the staff told me, they said, you know, when Erica came, she was emotionally dead. She didn't respond, she didn't cry, she didn't laugh, she didn't talk, she was just dead. She was dry bones. They said our staff prayed over this girl and we ministered to her and we loved her and we cared for her and they said the first, first month was the most traumatic time trying to minister to this sweet little girl and they said at the end of one month, one morning she woke up and she was a fountain of bubbling joy. And they said, and you look at that face, that is the face they see every day, the joy of the life of Jesus that took the dry bones and breathed his life. I want you to see other kids from that same home. Uh, these are the kids of the all nations home. Uh, that's a bunch of trouble right there. All of these kids are children that came in at the same time as infants. The government brought a whole raft of kids all at the same time, infants that were abandoned, infants that were orphans, and they brought them all and said, will you take them? And our dear sainted friends at, in, in Maputo, Mozambique said, we'll take them. They're in uh, second grade right now. Would you pray for their teacher? Can you imagine all of this energy in one class? Can you imagine what God is going to do through these formerly dry bones that are going to be an army for the living God's? I thank the Lord that, yes, we are overwhelmed when we hear their stories. We're sad. It's more than we can comprehend. It's things that we've never dreamed of, but it's nothing that God cannot heal and give life to. I thank God for the life that he gives to our dry bones. There's a, an orphanage in Ginja, Uganda, it's called St. 
Amaria. I have a picture of Jan and I there. Uh, we are at this orphanage. The orphanage has 63 kids that live in the orphanage, but they teach in their school 400 orphan children. When we first started supporting them, none of these buildings, just the two end, end buildings were built, but none of these side buildings were built. They were in stick, little stick shelters with little uh, makeshift roofs. And uh, we started supporting them and they started building block buildings. And it, uh, it's so much better even now than what you see here. It just has improved. But 400 AIDS orphans whose lives are devastated. And when we came to that orphanage, time after time we visited them, they would present, we would bring donors and potential donors in, and they would sing the songs of grief. And time after time they sang the songs, and, and one of the children had written a song, Oh, AIDS, you have taken my father. Oh, AIDS, you have taken my mother. Why have you taken everything from me? We would stand there with the impact of the destruction of the enemy in their lives. And we brought in some workers that work with uh, orphans, AIDS orphans, who brought them out of grief and to quote the leader of that group that came in to minister to those staff and students, he said, Wick, these children must grieve, but then they've got to come out of grief. And the way that they do that is they begin to celebrate Jesus. And as they celebrate Jesus, God heals their grief. And he ministers deeply into their lives. I want to show you a short video of the St. Amaria kids after they found out about joy. Edith Nasinde was an orphan living on the streets of Jinja, Uganda. As a child, she lost both parents and was completely hopeless. As she wandered the streets of that city, Catholic nuns found her and brought her to the convent. They raised Edith in a loving environment and gave her the tools to make a huge difference in the lives of orphans. From her experience, Edith is now a driving force to rescue orphans from the streets of her city. St. Amaria is helping their children to move from grief and despair to healing and wholeness. St. Amaria is transforming their lives.
Amen. Isn't God good? Children from the worst of circumstances changed by the living God. The young man we have ministered to, his name is Gandhi. He is at in our orphanage in uh, Chennai, India. We have three orphanages in that area of India. And Gandhi is one of the precious kids in uh, the Rescue and Restore home. Gandhi, as a little boy, was born into a very poor family. His father was a thief. His mother was a prostitute. And they lived an okay life. He had everything that he needed. They lived in a, a little shack, but, and they had food to eat. And life was okay until his father died. And no longer could his mother provide for her drug habit through prostitution. So she began to sell her son every night to five, six, seven men so that she could make money for her drug habit. One night, uh, three men took him and so abused and beat him that they thought he was dying and they dumped him on a sidewalk so that he could die there. And Freddie and Daisy drove by, saw a little boy crumpled on the sidewalk and they walked, they stopped their car and they gathered him up. They realized he had been horribly beaten, abused. They put him in the car, they took him back to their orphanage. They cared for him, he had been drugged so he wouldn't fight those men. And they fed him, they gave him some food, they woke him up, gave him something to drink. They did that for a day and a half until he finally came to, he came to consciousness. And they realized this was one of the most horrifically abused children they had ever had in their ministry. And they said to me, Wick, this was our worst child ever to come into our home. Raged, he fought, he cursed, he propositioned the staff. The only thing that he had known for years that he was, I think at the time he was seven years old. And they said that we just ministered to him, we got him counseling, we prayed over him, we ministered God's love to him. And after one year of loving that child, he found Jesus as his personal savior. And his life was totally transformed. And he was totally healed by the power of God. I wanna tell you something, God doesn't just forgive, he makes it all new. So he did that in the life of Gandhi. I'm gonna show you a recent picture of Gandhi. Uh, this is him with one of the teams. You guys, Gandhi is a fine young man. Just finished high school, and he just began uh, going to culinary school where he is going to become a chef in one of the major hotels or restaurants in the city of Chennai. And he wants to live his life for Jesus. Aren't you glad? I'm so glad. Then the final child I want you to meet is a little girl named Eunice. Eunice is 
uh, precious little girl that we met quite a number of years ago. She was, she was in the uh, uh, Saint, uh, Saint Vanna, which it means, that word means the comforter. She was in the comforter orphanage. Loved and cared for, and of all the children, like Gandhi, Eunice was one of the most horrifically abused children that we've ever had come into our homes. For you see, Eunice was not born a little girl. She was a little boy living on the streets of Pune, India, who was befriended by uh, some transgender people from the red light district of that city. They befriended, befriended this little boy. He was taken off the streets. They gave him food. They gave him a place to live. And one night, they gave him a mixture that knocked him out. And they, in a dirty apartment, Pune, India, they operated on him and made him a little girl. Then they began to sell Eunice in the red light district, and she contracted HIV. And she contracted tuberculosis, but she was in this amazing home. And over the years that we went to that home, and it's one of our favorite homes that we have supported over the years, it's led by a retired medical doctor who just recently retired, even from the orphanage. But we would go time after time and to see this little girl being transformed by the power of the living God and the breath of God that was poured into her life by a medical doctor and volunteer teams that we sent in and the ministry that we were able to do through Streams of Mercy, that little girl fell in love with Jesus. And she contracted a very serious respiratory infection, which is always a possibility when a child is HIV positive. They're very susceptible to respiratory problems. She got bronchitis, pneumonia. Dr. Edwards took her to the hospital. And of course, by law, she has to tell the hospital that the little girl is HIV positive. And as soon as she does, the hospital refuses to help her at all. And oh, by the way, all of our respirators, all of our breathing devices are in use, and I'm sorry, we can't help you. There were plenty in the hospital. They just didn't want to help a little girl with, with HIV. And they sent Dr. Edwards to a second hospital, and she carried Eunice to that second hospital, but they called ahead and said, you have an HIV child coming your way. You may not want to put that child on a respirator. And they arrived at that hospital, and the hospital said, we're sorry, all of our respirators are in use. We can't help you. And they sent her to a third hospital and called ahead. And Dr. Edwards took Eunice to that third hospital and while in the waiting room, because they had no respirators available, little Eunice passed away in her arms, but she went into the presence of Jesus. You see, our world 
that we live in is the world of the orphan. And we got to see Eunice for years grow up in this amazing environment, finding Christ, being filled with the breath of the living God, and having her life turned from very dry bones to having the life of God fill her life. 137 million live in this world. It's overwhelming, I don't know how to factor that in, but I recently read a quote from Stephen Curtis Chapman. He said, you know, there are two billion Christians in the world today. If only 7%, seven out of 100 Christians cared for orphans, there would be no more orphans in the world today. Only seven in 10. If they did, there would be no more orphans. I wanna tell you, I believe very strongly that God wants to speak a prophetic word to you today. That word is that God is calling you to prophesy not only through your words, but through your lives to the dry bones of people in this world, whether they're unsaved or whether they're foster kids or whether they're orphans or widows or whatever they are, every one of us, none of us can do everything. But every one of us can do something. What is your something? What is it that God wants you to do to breathe the life of God into dry bones in this world today. You might say, but oh, who am I? I can't do much. I'm just a normal person. You know what? So am I. There is nothing special about Wick and Jan Neese. Nothing. Except we have a passion to bring the love of Jesus to the needy of this world. That's it. We had a woman that went with us, and I'm going to end with this this morning. Doris was going to, wanted to go on an outreach, and she came to our team leader, and she said, you know what? I'm a nobody. I have nothing to give. And the team leader said, oh, yes, you do. You have a gift in you that God put in your life and you can change the lives of the orphans that we're going to go minister to. She said, I'm just an overweight, older housewife. That's all I am. And the team leader said, that's what God wants to use to touch the lives of kids. And she had a terrible self-image, body image. She didn't like her overweightedness and she particularly hated her flabby arms. And she told the team leader, you know what? See these arms? I hate these arms. <laughs> team leader said, you know what? God loves those arms. And she went into Gandhi's orphanage. And that little boy who had refused to connect with people, I don't know, he was drawn to this overweight, flabby-armed woman. <laughs> And he snuggled up close to her and she put her arms around this little boy and he reached up and he patted her arms. 
And he said to her, you know, they're so soft. <laughs> and she sat there and said, you know what? I realized the thing I hated the most about myself became the thing that God used the most in the lives of these kids. You don't have to be great. You don't have to be magnificent. You just have to be available. Where are your dry bones? God has them for you. Amen.